You're listening to the Salt Churches Podcast. Here you can listen to messages, inspiration, and lessons learned about planting microchurches all across the nation. Thank you for tuning in. To find more information, you can visit us at www.saltchurches.com. This podcast is brought to you today by Salt Church's founder, Parker Green. So I was pastoring uh, a church campus in New York, and then when Jess and I got married, we were pastoring that campus alongside one another. And what our job kind of was, was to go into these campuses of these churches and basically give it a shot of adrenaline in the heart, build a team. Uh, build a leadership team, shift the culture, turn it around financially, and start reaching the lost and making disciples, really, is what our main focus was. So what we do is we'd energize these church campuses in New York City, they're both on Manhattan, to get on mission. And then out of that mission, form the community that they were all desiring anyways. Because I say this all the time in our church, you can't have community for community's sake. So if you're here um, just because you want a great community... Jess talked about it in her message as well. I I just want to challenge you to shift your mentality towards mission. Because think about the closest relationships that can be formed on planet Earth, right? And my guess would be that the closest relationships anybody has on planet Earth are soldiers fighting side by side. And they're all on mission, right? That's a brotherhood that you can't really describe to somebody. You have to experience it. And that's why a lot of veterans come back and they're like confused about why people don't want to like die for each other, right? Because <laughs> they just got back and they're like, wait, this person's not really my friend. They can't even like show up on time. And I used to depend on people for my life, mm-hmm. right? So it's a totally different concept than um, what I think is in popular culture and millennial culture is like, oh, community, community, community. Great. Let the world have that. Let's have a cause. And then we'll end up having a better community than them. That's so that's kind of the idea, all right? Um, and for Jess and I, The journey really came down to, um, we didn't feel like what we were doing um, at the time was effectively making disciples of Jesus. We were, you know, gifted at running the organization, um, good from a microphone, preaching, emceeing, all that stuff that we were doing on a weekly basis, and then the ins and outs of it, meeting people with coffee, and I'm not saying it's all a bad thing. What I'm saying is, I don't think it was the best possible way to make followers of Jesus Christ. So this was a long journey of reading books, uh, meeting people at AIM, so we had a more missions focus. It was getting discipled by Clint, who is going to be speaking tonight. I don't know if he is part of your guys' training camp or not. Sometimes he is, sometimes he isn't. But he called us into discipleship, and that was like the first time someone, it wasn't the first time I was discipled, but it was the first time somebody called me into discipleship and laid an expectation on me to then go and make disciples as well. Um, So we started doing that, and it took off. And it actually did really, really well in, inside the church we were doing, but it didn't exactly align with uh, the vision that was within that church at that time and how they wanted to make disciples. So it caused a lot of friction, and my brother-in-law was my boss as well. Um, and so but we, we were just at loggerheads anyways, and we're both really strong personalities. So it came down to the point where it's like, look, man, like, I don't think this is going to work long term, and neither do you. So we decided to give up everything we had, and I just, (laughs) a lot of crazy things happened, and I don't know why God does this, but it's kind of annoying. We, I just got a a, a substantial raise, we were running two church campuses, 
Jess was running the worship ministry. I was running the men's ministry as well. Jess got health insurance. She just got pregnant. And then God's, I fasted at the beginning of 2016 for 21 days. And um, God wouldn't leave me alone about Southern California. So we sold everything that we could for a lot less than we thought we'd get for it. And packed up our um, Jeep um, and filled it with all our stuff um, to the hill and just I drove across the country with my dad and we rented or leased an apartment sight unseen and started a church within two months, um, a micro church within two months within our apartment. Now we have two churches in Southern California, one in Orange, which is a city in Orange County, and one in Huntington Beach. And our plan this year, and our overall vision for this year, mission and goal is to have 10 of these micro churches in Southern California or elsewhere. So through planting with, with salt churches. So the idea is that we believe that this model of church, first of all, you can equip almost anybody to do it. It's like telling someone, look, get 10 of your friends together and start making disciples. Because what we really believe is that you start making disciples and a church will grow up out of it. So what we did is we flipped the model on its head. We didn't go out and say, we're planting a church. We're like, we're going to make disciples and out of that soil of discipleship, a church will grow up out of that. All right? So first things first that we do, and I'll get more into this in a, in a moment. I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of the four things that we do. Pray and ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit for at least a month. So get your friends together and pray. That's it. <laughs> All right? Really simple. And then write down... 30 to 40 names of people that aren't engaged with their Christianity. So what we call like a nominal Christian. Somebody that's not engaged on mission making disciples, right? Somebody that's maybe like spoon-fed their Christianity, but isn't really sure how to take that next step, isn't really engaged in intimacy with Jesus. So you'd write down people that don't know Jesus or those people and start praying for them in that month. And then the next thing you do is share the gospel. So with the fire of the Holy Spirit and backed by prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit, you do what he asks you to do is share the gospel with people. So the best churches that I've seen in this model are with brand new believers. Because you don't have to tear down all the religiosity and all the stuff around it. Like, well, you need to have this in church. You need to have this in church. I'm like, well, there's actually a minimal amount of things you actually need in a church besides the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the gospel, and making disciples, breaking bread together, loving one another. Like, it's really, really simple. It doesn't need to look like a particular thing, so to speak. So what you're doing with these new believers is you're just building an entire context of Christianity for them. And it's really, really fun to watch because you tell them, well, what you do is you go and make disciples. And they're like, okay. <laughs> Have you ever tried to tell a Christian that's been a Christian their whole life, go and make disciples? They're like, oh, I don't know if that's for me. I don't know if I know enough. Do I have to start a church? I don't have a degree, blah, 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 blah. All these excuses to not do what Jesus has asked them to do. But if you bring someone in the fold for the first time and say, this is what Jesus says, they're like, okay, that's what Jesus says. I'll go and do that. Really simple, right? And it's really, really refreshing, by the way. So, um, I encourage you today to go with Teresa and Jesse and share the gospel today just, just to freshen up a little bit if you haven't done it in a while and get your licks in, get some practice in. Like, you're not going to see these people in Gainesville probably ever again. So, like, putting hands on them, praying for them and sharing the gospel, like, what are you worried about, right? The difficult part is when you start sharing the gospel with people that you see on a daily basis at work. Right. 
right? And that's where you need the guidance and the prayer of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the phrase that Jesus says is really, really important. He says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? Well, what does that mean? Right, so be a good employee. Be an amazing employee. Work hard. Work hard, right? Be innocent. Don't do anything stupid at work. Be a great Christian, right? Show up on time. Show up early. Be a leader. Be a kingdom person. But then, what does he mean, wisdom of a serpent? Because a lot of the context, I don't know if you noticed in the Bible, when they talk about serpents, <laughs> it's not like super good. Right? So when Jesus is telling you to be like one, you're like, okay, so what exactly are you talking about? So what is the wisdom of a serpent? Let me ask you a question. If you ever watch like nature videos or planet Earth or whatever it is, you ever see a snake go hunting? They just sit and wait. And when they see their prey, they strike when it's within range. So the wisdom of a serpent is timing. And that's why you need the Holy Spirit to guide you in sharing the gospel. Because really, the Holy Spirit is the great evangelist, right? Right. He's the one that's been working on this person's heart for a period of time. And all you're doing is stepping into that partnership to share the gospel. Really, really simple, right? And there's a few ways you can share the gospel, but we'll, we'll get more into the detail of that later. But I want to just give you an overall vision of um, what the church is. But let's start by asking a, a couple of questions. So, what, what is the church? Not a church. What is the church? Body of Christ. Body of Christ. Good. Anything else? The... Go to scripture if you're wondering. It's not a philosophy question. It's not like what you think the church is. The Bible's pretty clear about it. Use some strong metaphors. So what is the Bible? The bride of Christ. Right. What else? Anything else? Jesus loves it a lot. He does love it a lot. Love loves the bride. That's why we should be really, really careful about maligning the church in any of its forms because I know that if someone talked about my wife poorly, I would not be a very happy camper. Anything else? Bride of, bride of Christ. Someone say the body already. Is there anything else? Group of believers. Group of believers, right? My gathering. I hope they believe. Yeah. What's one thing that you can take? It, this is one thing they say in the New Testament, especially the, the Hebrew church, the Jewish church, that's transferred from the Old Testament. Temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? We're the dwelling place. There's something else I'm looking for that's more like macro, that's bigger. It's really simple. People of God, right? We're the people of God now, right? So our stamp, his stamp is on us. We're the people of God. We're his representation on earth, right? So overall, that's a big picture of what the church is. So universal church, big church, body of Christ, right? People of God, right? The bride. So, what? That being said, what is a church? Meeting of believers. Meeting of believers. Okay. I think that's a good start. A smaller example of the macro church. Right. And what does that look like then? Probably like Acts two, giving on a small scale where people can see like global, like they see not racially divided or different divisions in the church, but like coming. Okay. Tell me more about the Acts 2 church. 
Giving to anyone that had need. Giving to anyone that had need. That's good. Breaking bread, right? Someone said something over here? Yeah, meeting and living together. Meeting and living together. Yep. They did do that. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Yep. <laughs> Holy Spirit was important. God is there. Devoted. <laughs> Jesus. Devoted. Devoted to what? Right. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. You whispered that. You should say things out loud. Um, anything else that... Give me, um, okay, so say you walk into a gathering of these Acts 2 believers. What do you think that feels like and looks like? An expression of kingdom. Expression of kingdom, yep. Family. Family, yep. Here, metaphors are really powerful. So if you can think, what's a, family's, family's a really good one. It's a metaphor God uses and it's a reality because of the blood of Jesus as well. But it's, it's both, and that's why it's extremely powerful, because in Christianity, myth and reality come together, which makes, makes it unbelievable and amazing all at the same time. But like, so what, what does it feel like? What does it look like? What would you experience in Acts 2? Because it's a description. It's a quick description. So, so if you walk in right now, what is that to you? So we got family. I think that's really good. Anything else? Selflessness and love. Selfless, selflessness and love, yep. Multiplication. Home, multiplication, yep, that's what families do, they're healthy, they okay. multiply. Like an army, yeah, military on mission, yeah, they weren't screwing around because they could die for their beliefs. So if you believe, you believe. Iron sharpening iron, challenging, keeping each other accountable to who they are in Christ, yeah, their new identity, so you're going to feel that. It's going to be a little hot sometimes, a little uncomfortable, like family. <laughs> right? Anything else? Vulnerability. Vulnerability? Why? Just to get to know each other, we just have to be raw with each other. To be raw with each other? Now, what's the outcome of vulnerability? What does that do? More vulnerability? Yep. <laughs> Multiplies vulnerability? Yep. Exposes you? Yep. Deliverance? Deliverance? Yep. Intimacy? Right. So it kind of kills your ego, right? So being in a small group of people gets rid of that mask you're wearing all the time. Whereas when you go to most regular churches, if you don't have any like close relationships there, you can just go in and go out, right? So you can worship, put your hands up, you know, you're sleeping around and drinking the night before, and then put your hands up and leave, and people are like, he comes every Sunday, right? So we're, we're killing the ego, right? In a circle of believers, it's really hard to wear a mask every single week. Either you're going to take it off at some point, or you're going to leave. And we've had both at Salt Churches. We've had people start to remove their masks, and it's taken like a year for that to, to really happen, including for Jess and I to remove our masks, especially coming from a ministry background. But like, after a while, like either you're going to be so uncomfortable, your ego is going to make you so uncomfortable that you either have to leave or drop it. Right? You're going to go your own way or drop it. So what you end up doing is building a real family. Because when you go home to your family at Christmas or whatever, everybody, like, there's a lot less, I don't want to say posturing, but people are just kind of who they are, and you kind of have to deal with it. Right. Right? So what's the one uniting factor of a family that isn't blood-related? Love. Love? Okay. What's that? Authenticity. Authenticity. 
I'm looking for, I'm lo- I am looking for a particular answer. What did you say? Did you ask what was the one? What, yeah. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Sunday school answer for you guys. <laughs> You're like, unity, authenticity, love. I'm like, those are great words. But there's a person behind all those things that brings people together, right? You want racial reconciliation? You need Jesus. You want to be on mission together? You need Jesus' mission. You want to live in a kingdom? You need a king. (laughs) You want family? You need a head of household. Right? So all those things are in and around Jesus. So it's a group of believers making disciples, multiplying like a family, meeting around and through Jesus, listening to the leading of His Spirit. Right? So it's really, really simple. You have a family of people together that are on mission for Jesus Christ. And that mission is what draws you together, and that king is what draws you together, and that person is what draws you together. It's not a particular speaker. It's not a particular way that that microchurch is done or that church is done. It's not a particular brand, right? Because we, I mean, we are the Western church, and some of that branding is like really powerful, and it's reached people, and people, lost people have been saved. That's cool, but there's a better way, I believe, to do it. And that's person to person, and that's sharing the gospel one-to-one and equipping the believers to do so. Some people are equipped and can share the gospel in mass, and that's good. But I think the daily believer needs to learn how to evangelize in their relationships. And yes, I will use the word evangelize because that's what you are doing. <laughs> you are evangelizing and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not hurting anybody by doing that. It's not, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to force my beliefs on someone or I don't want to do this or that. Look, you're not doing them a favor, doing them any favors by not sharing. All right, so flip it on its head. You're saving someone possibly from hell by telling them. You're doing them a favor by telling them. The best thing you can do is share it with them because you love them. If you don't love them, by all means, don't share. But if you do love that person and you've worked a love for them through love for them by praying for them continually, you're going to want to share the gospel with them directly and not pull any punches. Repent, be saved, get baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean by evangelization. I don't mean a personal relationship with Jesus. I mean turn from your old ways, follow him, do what he says, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and step into a prayerful community of love, which is called the church. And do it on mission. Does that make sense? Okay. So, we have a pretty good definition and a basic feeling of what that Acts 2 church looked like. So, how do you do that now? How do you do it now? I don't have all the answers here. Break bread with them and just be with them. Break bread and be with them. Right. Time spent is way more important than people think. Yeah. Just being around people consistently and constantly, intentionally. Right? Having getting together for no reason is an important part of the church. Celebrating is an important part of the church. Like, when we lost our Jewish heritage as a church, like, as a church in general, we started to suck at celebrating. Right? We suck at partying together. We're really bad at it. 
<laughs> like, like, just, like we can't have fun? Like Jesus died for you and you're going to heaven forever and you're like all somber and weird about it. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like that's good news, right? And we're living out that good news every day. So we should purposefully and consistently celebrate together what Jesus has done. One of the main components of our church is fun. When you get together on a Sunday, like, because Sunday ended up being the only day that worked, because we're like, we're going to do Wednesday nights because we're not traditional church, and then, like, no one can come because they all have to go to work the next day, so it's just, like, just do it on Sunday. Um, so when we get together, we celebrate what's happened with disciple-making during the week. We celebrate miracles and healings. We celebrate financial breakthrough. We celebrate what's happening in each other's lives and what Jesus is doing. That's really, really important. And fun. And fun, and be funny, and just chill a little bit. Like, you just got to be able to be together sometimes. Sometimes we're just no good at being together because it always has to be about something, right? All right, so any other answers on how you do it now? I'm going to go from you guys. How many of you are running a microchurch right now? John Frank? Coming together. Coming together? Okay, we'll talk after. Yeah. Um, Okay, so almost, so I would say two, maybe five percent of you, okay, are running one right now. So, from the start, how would you make that Acts two become a reality in your life, in and around you? How would you do that? I, and I want to take the, I want to take all the restrictions off of you right now. How would you do it? Tell me how you would do it. No bad answers right now. I'm not going to shame you and make fun of you unless it's heresy. All right. You're like, I would get around and we would all meditate about our spirit animal. Not, not a good start. That's from Fight Club, not from real life. All right, so tell me, tell me how you would start. Go ahead. I would just have, I would, oh, hi. Ah, I, That's recording, so I'm, maybe. Sure. We'd just have people come over and have a safe space for them and have food because food brings people together. And, um, it does. Right. Just start conversation and pray intentional, pray intentionally about um, the people who were gathering. Great. That's a great start. So a couple of things she mentioned there that are really cool. A safe space. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be talking about safe things all the time, but you can. That means like your family. So you're not going around telling everyone. So if there are any gossips in your church, either confront them directly and end it, or get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Which we've done. Which we have done multiple times. If you're talking about other people not in their presence, either stop, repent, or get out. Because it's poison. It'll destroy the body. It is, it's, there's one accuser of the brethren. And if you're gossiping, you're working for him. All right, another one. Hospitality. Food. <laughs> people want to come to a party, man. <laughs> like... You invite them to church, they're like, nah, 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 nah. Come to my house and have dinner. Sure, see you soon. <laughs> like, it's not complicated. People run on their stomach, right? And Chick-fil-A. Stop. Yeah, Chick-fil-A, yeah. <laughs> people, don't, stop answering questions people aren't asking. Okay? So they need community, right? So what's the number one need of a human being? To belong, right? What gives you anxiety, gave you anxiety in high school? Your inability to belong. Like, where am I going to sit at lunch? I went to a brand new high school my senior year of high school. I went from 800 kids that I'd known since kindergarten to 4,000 in my high school. 
So at lunchtime, it was like panic attack every single day. I had no idea where I was going to go or who I was going to hang out with. Right? And it was an open campus because it's in California, so there's no lunchroom. So people are sitting everywhere. So you don't have like, oh, I'm going to sit at this table and give it a shot. Maybe I'll be embarrassed. It's like, no, people are just chilling with their friends, like under trees, and like they have their spots, and you don't know why they have those spots. So it's like double anxiety, and there's 4,000 people having lunch at the same time. So it's like the most overwhelming thing in the world, right? But the number one need of every human being is to belong. Belong. Become a part of a family. Find a new identity in Christ. Be a part of a family. Belong, belong, belong. And food does that. Breaking bread together still has significant meaning. Okay? So make sure that meal is important. You know what we call it? Communion. Right? Jesus, when he was breaking bread and giving the wine, he wasn't just telling, okay, so this is what you're going to do in 2,000 years. You're going to have these weird, tasteless crackers and these little cups of grape juice because of the prohibition and Welch's took over and everyone stopped with wine. Right? That's really what happened. Like, all the churches stopped with wine because of the prohibition. It's like super weird. Right? And, like, okay, and you're sitting in a row. Jesus is sitting at a table with his closest friends. Breaking bread. He's not saying, when you go to church and someone gives you a tasteless cracker and grape juice, remember me. He's saying, when you eat. That's at least three times a day. Well, four times a day, if you're like a hobbit like me. <laughs> to remember Jesus with other people. Yeah, it's very good. Right? So turn off the TV, sit around together, and break bread, and have a conversation. Put the phones aside. It would be refreshing for a millennial church to say, all right, put your phones here. We don't do phones right now. They'd be blown away. Even if they don't know Jesus, they'd be like, I can respect that. Because everyone knows they do it too much. And they want freedom from it. So, like, walking in and say, set your phone aside. We're going to chat. And like, oh, these are like real people. <laughs> and the second century, I mean, it's not biblical. Because in the first century, they didn't have Instagram. So, got to get rid of it. No, I'm just saying... I'm just saying it would be refreshing for people. So those are two really good things, right? You want to get somebody saved? they got to belong first. We have a saying in our church, belong, believe, become. Bring them along first. Bring them along for the journey. And then they'll start asking questions and wondering what's different. And then they can believe. And they'll either reject it or they'll accept it. Mm -hmm. Some of that by your example and how you guys love each other in your church. And then they can enter into discipleship and start to become like Jesus. Yeah. Belong, believe, become. Really, really simple way to, to evangelize people. And when I, when I say belong, if you're an introvert, don't get stuck in belong for three years. Have the mentality, they need to belong, but they could die tomorrow. Okay? So be really, really, really in tune with the Holy Spirit and sharing Jesus with that person very intentionally. And if you need a drip before you drop, that's fine. But at some point, the question needs to be asked. Do you want to turn from your old ways? Do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I'm going to baptize you personally. And then we'll pray that you're filled with the Holy Spirit so you have the power to do what he's asking you to do. And they won't understand what you're talking about. But they'll understand what you're talking about. Right. Because they'll have seen it in the belong phase. Okay? Does that make sense? Alright, what's another way that you would start? 
Study God's Word. Amen. The Word of God. Oh my gosh, the Word of God. So many times in our gatherings for the first eight months, we're good at it now. Um, some of our high schoolers aren't the best. We're working on it, but they're like 15. So all they are is like raw motion and hormones. <laughs> and that's fine. I'd rather have a car that's moving than one that's parked. I can steer a car that's moving, right? I always say that. I'm like, if you're going to disciple someone, make sure they're moving. If they're parked, good flipping luck. It's so hard to turn a wheel when a car is parked. But if they're moving, you can get them going somewhere. It doesn't, even if they're going the completely wrong direction. Like, that's why you hear stories of people that are like, I was a drug addict, I was this, I was that, I was a prostitute. And they go, whoop, turn around, radical believers, they were going. Someone just grabbed them and flipped them around and pointed them towards Jesus, right? It's like, sometimes people that have been believers their whole lives that aren't really Christians are the hardest because they're sitting, they're stagnant, right? So you need to work the Holy Spirit and you can do that, but I'm just saying, I found it easier the other way. So the Word of God. We had people a lot turn it into a Dr. Phil like counseling session at first. Get that out, man. As soon as possible. As soon as possible, root out that culture. Here's why. It's important that you work through your issues. But let me tell you that the relationships that you have within the church will do that themselves. Think about where all your brokenness and issues come from in your heart. Where does it all come from? Relationships. Right? Broken, shattered relationships. Either family or somebody you dated or, or something that happened along the way in a relationship is what really broke you. Am I right? Yeah. Right? And that's where your weirdness comes from. That's where you're like, I need to talk about this and process this comes from. Right? Processing is not helpful if you're not in covenant relationships, walking them out, and actually loving one another. Okay? If you can't practice your healing and wholeness, you'll never truly have it in hand. Right. So, studying the Word of God and obeying what it says. My goodness, how simple is that? But we miss that in the Great Commission, right? It says, teaching them to obey Right. everything I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Because how are they going to listen to you as a leader of a church if they can't listen to Jesus Christ, the King of the universe? Right. How are they going to be on mission with you if they can't listen to the word first? How are they going to listen in discipleship or receive uh, humbling feedback or humbling conversation, even if it's wrong or right? How are they going to get rid of their ego if they can't just obey clearly what the Word of God says? It's a remarkable book for a number of reasons. But it's most remarkable because it, it works. It's effective. The teaching of Jesus is not about how to gather as a church. Have you noticed that? It's about daily life. 95% of it is about relationships. It's either about money which he talks about more than anything else, or your relationships. So where's your money going, and where's your time spent with people going, and how is it spent? Those are the two, like, think of all the crappy stuff in your life, or the good things in your life. They circle around those two things, right? So if you can just follow the teaching of Jesus with your money, follow the teachings of Jesus with your relationships, wow, life really starts to work, even when you're sad, even when things are difficult, 
even when you're in the dark night of the soul, things can still work in your relationships because you're following what Jesus has asked you to do. So centering your whole church around learning the Word of God together in a, in a conversational way. So people are chewing on it together. And then at the end of the meeting, what we started doing is saying, okay, this is what we're going to do this week to obey what Jesus says. We're not just going to talk about it like a regular like small group. This is your action point. And I think that's a big reason, it, uh, one of the big reasons that we have more men in our church than women, which is weird. Yeah. So we're like 60% dudes, which is awesome. Because <laughs> if they don't do what I ask them to do, I lay into them. Right? A guy just came from, uh, he just moved in from Texas, and he didn't have a job yet. So it's like three weeks that he didn't have a job. I'm like, okay, this is what you're going to do for discipleship. Set your alarm right in front of me. You're going to get up at the same time every day and spend time with Jesus. You're going you're gonna to work every day before you have a job. That's how we're going to obey the word. Because he who doesn't feed his family is worse than an unbeliever. And you're thinking about getting married. So this is how we're going to do it. Start with prayer and get in that habit before you get into work and life, life takes over. Okay? And that's what I follow up with them every week. And the first week, you didn't do it. So guess what we talked about in discipleship that week? The same exact thing. I didn't move. I'm not like, okay, well, let's talk about your issues then. I'm like, you know what? I don't have time to talk about anything else until you do what I ask. And it's not like, it's not in a harsh, unloving way. I obviously want this dude to have the best possible life. Right? So centering your whole life around what Jesus asks us to do. And actually holding people accountable to it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust me, like, it's never going to be perfect. And people aren't going to execute on this stuff perfect. There's grace for that. But we have to realize that grace is a couple of things, right? Grace is also the power to do what he's asked you to do. Yes, it releases you. From sin, but that's more mercy than anything else. The mercy of God releases you from sin. His grace empowers you to not sin anymore and to do what He asks you to do. A lot of people are like, oh, grace means like I'm right before God. Yes, you are in right standing. Yes, you're part of His family. But when my kid is playing with outlets and he's a year and a half old, I'm not pleased with him. And I'm not unpleased with him because I don't like him as a person. I'm displeased with him because. It could short-circuit his heart if he sticks his little finger in it. <laughs> right? So the most loving thing I could do is smack him. Right? So, so thinking of life that way together is a lot different. Right? It's not like, oh, you're on the journey. I'm like, yeah, but you're about to walk off a cliff. So let's talk about that first. And then we'll get to like the deeper parts of the gospel, which kind of don't really exist. It's just like living life. The gospel, you can preach the gospel every single week, and if it's not deep enough for somebody, they don't know how far away from God they actually were when they got saved. Yeah. Right? Word of God, really important. Anything else? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. What do you mean by that? Give me practical, like, gritty yeah, version of that. Uh, mo like, mostly time. That's something we always want to do, like, our time. thing. Yep. Sacrificing of time and resources for... Like the whole purpose of publishing somebody else. What do you mean by resources? Uh, whether it be, um, like if someone needs a place to stay. Yep. You know, if someone needs a meal. If yep. someone needs a ride to work. Yep. Start a job. Like whatever it looks like, meeting that, meeting the hands of you. 
That's good. That's really good. Rise to the airport, especially for Jess and I. Our church has been awesome. So give me an example of what's been happening with salt. Like we left um, for over Christmas, and our tree, we got our tree the day after Thanksgiving. It's kind of like a family tradition. Uh, we love Christmas. But it died kind of early, right? We got it from Home Depot. Next year, we're going to go in the woods and get one properly so it doesn't die in like two seconds. Um, but it died really early, and I was dreading coming back home and like cleaning it up. But our, fam- our church family was looking after our dog while we were away. We have a little Shiba Inu nugget. She's awesome. Uh, our first child and our only teenager in the house. She's moody. Um, but they came to our house. They had keys to our house. They came and they cleaned out our refrigerator. They cleaned our living room. And they took down our Christmas tree, packed all the decorations away, put it in storage for us. And folded our laundry and had it ready on our couch when we got home. We didn't ask. So time is a valuable resource. And the other thing I want to talk about is money. So we're set up like a regular 501c3. We have a board of elders. We have all that stuff, all the regular stuff in the background. So people give. And we talk about it first. Give your money. Right off the bat, at least 10%. That's like the starter pack. Because all the money that we have, because I'm support raised as a minister, now as of mid-December, I was bivocational, but it's too much to run multiple churches that way. So we're going to give options for hub leaders, people that are running multiple churches in the future to support raise, so we're opening that up now. But here's the, here's the reality. If they're not giving their money, probably nothing else will follow. I can tell what someone's priorities are by looking at their bank statement in two seconds. It's really, really simple. If you're not, if you're not generous and you're not giving money away, if you're not generous with money, you're not going to be generous with anything else. I, I, I've never seen a situation where someone's not tithing and they're completely invested time-wise and heart-wise in a church. I've seen people giving a lot. To a church, time-wise, but not giving money, and it's always ended in frustration, bitterness, and burnout. I don't know why, but I think it's something attached to the strings in the heart. Like Jesus said, where you put your treasure is, your heart will follow. Right? So, because I'm support-raised, all the money that comes into SALT now goes to widows and orphans, about 20%, and the other 80% is getting locked away to plant more churches. Does that make sense? So we're saving most and spending some on auxiliary stuff like bookkeeping and stuff like that. But the first thing I talk about when I plant a church is giving money. And it's an offensive topic, but I want people to get used to getting offended right off the bat. And if they're not game, they're not game. That's fine. Go to a church where you don't have to buy in with your actual wallet. That's fine. But, I mean, think about it, guys. Because you said time's a valuable resource, right? Where does most of your time go? Well, where, where, do you spend, where are you going to spend 70% of your days? Work. At your job. Right? Your time is being traded for money on the free, in the free market with our system in the West. Right? So you're literally giving time. You're exchanged for time when you give money. And if that's a problem for you, if like that's an issue for you, like giving finance or a house church giving finance, I want you to pray about it and see what the scripture says. 
Not how you feel about it, not the way your family was set up, and not the way you guys dealt with money, but what does the Bible say about generosity and money? Because people are like, well, the tithe is the Old Testament. You know what? You're absolutely right. First of all, it's not 10%. It's more, more Hebrew, Hebrews were giving more like 30% of their total with all the festivals and everything that's going on because they're supporting an entire tribe of people with their income, right? Because the Levites didn't have jobs, regular jobs, right? And in Acts, in the New Testament, the standard is sell everything. So, okay, it's not Old Testament, fine. If you want to live by Old Testament principles, that's the bottom rung, 30%. But if you want to live New Testament, everything. So, oh, it doesn't, like, tithe doesn't make it through the cross. And people, like, do this diagram, like, the blood of Jesus washes away me having to sacrifice my money. I'm like, that's convenient. Because <laughs> right, right before that, he talks about carrying your cross. So here's the thing. Talk about money, it's okay. And it's okay to give money, but be absolutely transparent about it. Anybody that asks me can look at where we spent our money. I've got reports for the whole year. Okay? And all my income is support raised at this point. Just to kind of not turn our church into a giant pyramid scheme. Because the way we plant churches, it could become that. The way the money flows in an organization, it could just keep flowing up. And that's happened. That happened in the 70s with a particular movement. I won't name it because I don't want you guys to get all bitter about it. But there was a movement in the 19, late 60s and 70s where it, three guys basically took all the money from all these house churches um, and made themselves rich from it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with being rich, but I don't think that's the way to do it. <laughs> so um, absolutely nothing wrong with being rich. You can resource people getting saved like crazy. Um, I think some of you are called to do that and maybe plant churches as well. So anything else? We got the Word of God. We talked about giving. We talked about generosity. We talked about giving of your time, um, effort, energy to each other. Anything else? How would you start it? So we've got a great meeting so far. We've got food, right? We've got hospitality. Prayer. Prayer is an awesome one. So prayer is where it all starts, right? Leading of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is powerful. If you look historically, any great movement of the church or any great revival always started with a prayer meeting. There's no exception. Zero exceptions. The church itself started in prayer. Okay? The guy's in the upper room, right? And the Holy Spirit came down. And what came out of that prayer? The Holy Spirit came down, and Peter, the apostle, the coward, turns Holy Spirit evangelist, sees 3,000 people saved. In a scary place, by the way, too. A lot of people think where that upper room was was right near the temple. Because the only place that you could baptize enough people, that 3,000 people, was right near the temple. They had hundreds of these pools next, next to it called mikvahs, and that's like the Jewish form of baptism, like purity, so they'd walk through before they went into the temple, right, to cleanse themselves for whatever, they had to do whatever festival it was. So it's likely that Peter was preaching the gospel on the steps of the temple, filled with the Holy Spirit. So prayer led to that many people getting saved all at once, okay? So if you're doing it without prayer, just don't bother and then praying together is really important too. Praying for each other is really important. Prophesying over one another. And not just praying for needs, okay? 
praying over people about their future and destiny and holding them accountable to the words that they've been given, like Paul the Apostle does with Timothy. He, go, he says, remember the prophecies that you received. Don't lose heart. Remember the prophecies you received. He doesn't go, he said, and for his ailment, he doesn't say, I'll pray for you. He says, drink some wine. <laughs> right? Drink some wine for your stomach's sake. I know you're like, he's probably a nervous wreck running the church at Ephesus, right? And so he's like, just drink some wine and don't forget the prophecies people have given you. So he doesn't say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm so sorry about your stomach, buddy. He goes, just keep going, but have some wine along the way. <laughs> and remember, remember your calling and purpose, okay? So calling each other out into your destiny is far more important than just praying for needs, right? Here's, here's why I think that's true. Okay? Someone has cancer, I believe they'll get healed. That's a need that needs to be prayed for. Someone's sick, my son got prayed for by our church yesterday and this church here, this gathering here, and he's healed. But here's the thing. Overall and over time, the only way you can hit the target you want to hit is to aim for something higher. Right? And that's why Jesus comes in with his teaching at a higher level so you can actually hit the target. He says, you've heard it said, right? You remember how many times Jesus says that? You know, don't sleep with another woman, basically is what he said. But I say to you, don't even think about it. Right? Because you have to aim for that in order to not do the next thing. <laughs> right? So when you're praying for people, right? You're praying, I believe, right? You're not praying, God, I pray. I pray right now that you would just pay JoJo's rent. No, I pray that Jojo would find a lucrative position, that the Holy Spirit would give him favor in his job, that he would learn how to work in the marketplace in a way that's effective and where he listens to the Holy Spirit. He'll get paid well for what he does, and that he, would have to, he wouldn't have to keep relying on his church praying for a miracle to pay his rent, but he would be a disciplined, focused follower of Jesus, that's a good employee that brings value to his workplace so he gets promoted. And then he doesn't bring to the table his problems with rent anymore. You know why? Because he has so much money because he's been aiming for something else, he's giving it to people that need to pay their rent. So flip it on its head. You hear what I'm saying? Yes, we have emotional issues. Yes, we have problems. Yes, there's going to be difficult times people go through. Yes. People will die. People will get married. And everything in between you could possibly imagine. But the reality is that we're aiming for something more eternal. So if you want to make a difference in your church, here and now, in the physical, you have to aim for the spiritual. Because it has dominion over the physical. Does that make sense? Okay, so praying for needs is important. But praying for the umbrella that would cover all those needs is far more important. I think someone said this before. If you put the kingdom first, everything else will be added to you. <laughs> right? Right? We're looking for all this little stuff on the ground, right? And he's like, no, you have the whole thing. You should pray for the whole thing. And then you'll live somewhere where your needs are met. As opposed to having to go wait in the bread line all the time. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. It's a good way to kill poverty, too, and the poverty mentality. To instill someone with their identity in the kingdom constantly. And they'll start living like a king and they can afford it. What's up? So I have a question about like 
we gather together and hospitality and all that stuff. So if you're starting out, how do you like create more ownership? I mean, we're not a 501c3, but yeah. we got around weekly. So it used to be a Bible study, but after connecting with you about like developing this and starting to like make it pop luck, how do you not get burned out, financially burned out, and as well as create that space? It's hard for me to answer that because we haven't had a problem with it. <laughs> we haven't run any snags. We used to cater from tithes and offerings, but it was just, it was like paying for a building. So I'm like, this is going to hold us back long term. So um, what we started doing is just asking people to bring different stuff. And the leader of that church will send out a group text a couple days before and say, okay, who's got this? Who's got this? Who's got this? And so far, we haven't had an issue. To be honest, it's pretty cheap. Right. Um, and if it's their family, they'll bring something. Right? So it's an overall ownership mentality. So it's like what I talked about before. You're aiming for something higher, so you get the food. <laughs> right? So it's like, yeah, this is your church. This is your family. Of course I'll bring the main. Of course I'll bring a salad. Of course I'll bring whatever. And it's according to people's means as well. If they need to partner up with someone else to like cook some spaghetti and meatballs because they're broke that week, that's fine. And if they need help... That group of people should be the type of people where they can say, look, I can't afford it this week. Not complicated. But then, if someone says something like that, you want to make sure you, you use that situation as leverage to chat to them about why they aren't budgeting in a way that they can afford a $15 meal. Right? Once a month. Because that's insane in the Western society. Like, you can find that anywhere. <laughs> It's cheap, right? Like eating together like that is really inexpensive. So, so don't let it become, and if people are buying stuff, encourage them not to. Encourage them to make it. Or like pre-made salads and stuff makes sense, you know what I mean, at the grocery store, but encourage them to bring food from a grocery store, not from like a, because the markup is insane. And over time it gets annoying. It's just not as good. It doesn't feel like family. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Just ownership overall. If they're giving money, tithes and offerings, they'll likely bring food. I know it's weird, but gener generosity makes little generosity babies. It does. It multiplies. Right? So if they're already giving, oh yeah, food's nothing. I'm already giving 10% of my income, 20% of my income, 30% of my income. What difference does like the main make? You know what I mean? So, anything else you would do to start one of these? Asking people, right? Asking people what specifically? To join you. To join you. Awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. Don't trick them into showing up, right? Tell them what they're coming to, right? It's not, it doesn't make sense. Bait and switch isn't going to work long term because whatever you started on, you're going to have to feed the beast with forever. So if you start with bait and switch, you're going to have to keep tricking them over and over again. And that's really annoying because at some point it's going to suck. Like, a relationship in the church is going to suck, right? A night's going to suck. It's not going to go well. The prayer is going to be weird. Somebody, someone awkward is going to show up and ruin everything. Someone's going to talk too much and say heresy that you're going to need to fix in front of everyone and rebuke them. And it's going to feel weird, right? So, from the start, they need to know what they're getting to be a part of. So, set the bar really high and let that 100% of people go down to 50, 40, 30, 20, 10% of the people that would normally come. That's okay. Start with a group of warriors that you're ready to go to, go to the fight with. Yeah. 
Okay? And then you'll have something to work with. Okay? Then you'll have something to work with. If you don't know where everyone's at, or if they're on the same page as you starting this thing, then it's going to be so frustrating to lead them. Because you're going to ask them to do stuff, and they just won't do it. Because they're not bought in, and they don't really care. <laughs> okay? So especially at the start with the DNA, make it really strong. Okay? But don't be afraid to ask people to join and get on mission with you. Because if you're afraid to do it, if you're afraid to do that, they're not going to buy it. They don't, they're not going to care. Just think everyone in your church, when you start it, is going to care a little bit less than you. Is that enough to get the job done? Think about that. Eventually they'll get it for themselves and they'll run. People get lit on fire all of a sudden. I don't know exactly how it happens with the Holy Spirit, but it's happened with a couple of my disciples where I'm just like, oh, okay. Like I hear words coming out of their mouth where I'm like, that's good. Does that make sense? Ask people. Get, get a group of friends together and start a church. Call it a church. Call it what it is. Oh, we're just gathering as a community and we're going to eat together and I don't know. Maybe God will do something. Maybe God will do something? Why are you assuming that he will maybe do something? Why are you assuming he's going to be the one that's late to the party? Right? So make sure that people know. Right? What you're doing right off the bat. And don't pull any punches. Right off the bat. Make disciples. Right off the bat. Reach the lost. That's a, what a functioning healthy church does. What does everything in nature do when it's healthy and mature? It grows and it reproduces. It makes babies in one way, shape, or form. Everything God has made on planet Earth that is living and moving and breathing in one way, shape, or form has seeds that are planted that grow and produce more seeds. That grow and plant and produce more seeds. That grow and are planted and produce more seeds. Like I said last night, if you're not reproducing, there's something wrong with the intimacy with Jesus. There needs to be reproduction. Reproduction of disciples, reproduction of converts, people that are choosing to begin following Jesus that are disciples, so that's one and the same, and reproduction of churches. At some point, you're going to have a disciple that is so mature, that is multiplying so much, they won't fit in your microchurch anymore. And it's time to give them the boot. Like you give an 18-year-old man that's living in a house. And it's time for him to go. He's grown up now. He's got it sorted. Go. Some people will stay for a long time. That's okay. But if you have disciples that are reproducing like that, they need to start their own family. Does that make sense? And we literally have had that situation happen. Where I was like, your, like, well, your influence is not going to fit in my apartment anymore. So you need to go start another salt church. Okay? It's really freeing, actually. You have to manage every tiny little thing. So we got a pretty good church so far. You guys like this church that we're attending at this point? It seems great, doesn't it? Seems awesome. So you can start one. You can start one. And we can walk you through the process. So here's what I want you to do. Just because I have two minutes left, I want to make sure I get my pitch in. All right? If you want to start a church, let us know. Let me know right after this meeting. We'll get each other's details. And we'll go from there. Okay? And we can walk you through the process of praying together, asking for the guidance of the Holy Spirit, reaching the lost, okay? Beginning to grow in the soil of discipleship and multiplication, right? And the last one, a church grows up out of that.
Because all you're saying is, telling your discipleship network, let's meet. All right? Really, really, really simple and multipliable. Like, some of you in this room have the capacity to plant 100 churches. You do. Through discipleship, it's possible. Generations grow quickly. Okay? And once you get to that fourth generation of disciples, it means I'm discipling someone, they're discipling someone, they're discipling someone. Multiplication is working. It means what you said is working. Right? And that's when you can go hands off and just say, grow, grow, grow. Make sense? Okay, so if you want to do this, if you're serious about doing this, like serious about doing this, we have two kids, I'm busy, (laughs) we're doing a lot. If you want to be invested in to do this, we'll do a trial run, see how you do with discipleship, see if you're multiplying disciples, and we can coach you, give you the resources, the covering of our 501c3, all that stuff to do it. You can be a salt. It's up to you. Okay? We can give you covering for it, and if you have a church, I'll fly out and spend a bunch of time with you and help you get it off the ground at my own expense. Okay? We'll pay just as much as as you want to pay. Alright? We'll meet you, and we'll double it. I promise. Okay? Sound good? Okay. Three minutes minutes of Q&A, and... Go ahead. Um, have you ever won a parachurch term, parachurch? <laughs> I have heard, I, I've heard the term parachurch, yeah. What's your question? One, I've just heard it a lot. It's becoming like a negative. Like, what, how would you define it? And don't mark that, right? Um, I think the parachurch ministry is a form of dying ministry that broke away from the church 50 to 60 years ago that is becoming relatively irre- irrelevant. So it's not the church, it's something else, but it was there because people were dissatisfied with the church in good standing, but over time, unless they fold into the church and become a part of the church, then I don't think long-term that's an effective way of doing ministry, Um, especially as the public proclamation of the gospel becomes more finicky with our post-Christian world. So it's, it's usually a ministry outside the church. Like uh, Billy Graham Crusades, that's a parachurch ministry, just to give you one big example, okay? But it's, I think that's a dying way of doing things, I think. Go ahead. Um, you just seem to have, like, no fear. Were you afraid? Absolutely. But I just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> well, I, had a, I, I fasted for 21 days. So I didn't eat for 21 days. So basically, at the end of that, I was like, well, I mean, whatever happens. I mean, I cannot eat, so I can do some other stuff. But the scary part, the scariest part for me was the identity crisis that I had. Yeah. So I had a huge identity crisis in my first year. Am I a minister? What am I doing here? Do I work by vocational? Blah, 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 blah. And then providing for my family was a big one, which a lot of you don't have that problem. You got all the time and money in the world, to be honest. If you don't, if you don't have little kids and stuff, like, you, you're not busy. So... Just think of it that way. You got, you got a lot of expendable energy for that. So being fearless is not a reality. Yeah. You will be afraid, but you'll have to do it anyways. It's like what everybody that's ever been in battle says. It's like we're all afraid. And if they're not afraid, they have a psychosis. And they like to kill people. Really. It's the less than 1%. Really. <laughs> less than 1% of people are actually like that. So if they're not afraid, they have a problem. So if you're not afraid, you should be thinking, is this big enough? Mm-hmm. Okay. So like, I'll get to you next. All right. What I learned about you is that 
why we want to start following you was that you're not afraid of your fear, like you don't you don't like run away from it. You acknowledge it and you bring it to the Lord and deal with it. Right. And that's like confrontational therapy. Exactly. Yeah, that's the best psychologically. Psycho as any psychologist will tell you, confrontational therapy is one of the best ways to deal with with fear. What was your question? Yeah, you said the church plant would be covered under you guys' 5013C. Yeah. Would that also be covered internationally? We haven't had to deal with that yet. But there are ways of making that happen that I know how to make that happen legally. A lot of 501c3s are based here and then minister elsewhere. So that's just how it would look. It would just be yeah, how it looks with support raising, how it looks with finances. Um, I'd probably lean on AIM a lot to figure out how to make that happen. But anything's possible. Yeah. Most, most ministries and missionaries in the world, about 80 to 90% actually, are funded from the United States, but are elsewhere. So I'm sure it's possible. I just need to figure out how to do it. It's just easy to transfer money to the United States. It passes too many hands on the ways out, so you've got to figure out a way to not let it touch too many hands. Keep it open. So yeah, it's possible. Any other questions? How do you deal with uh, conflicting personalities and when conflict comes up? Uh, directly. That's it. <laughs> Seriously, have a conversation. Have a relationship and have a conversation. Start with, I love you. Now let's talk. Okay? The point is reconciliation, not being right. Okay? The only person that is completely right is Jesus Christ. So bringing him in as a mediator to the conversation first. So pray first. Tell each other you love each other. Compliment each other. And then take your digs and deal with what you got to deal with. Hash it out. Direct confrontation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm supposed to meet with Dion right after this, um, but they can definitely talk, chat with. Uh, yeah, she has to go to that. So, get our contact information. Write down my email: Parker at saltchurches.com. Parker at saltchurches.com. And if you're serious about doing this, let us know. All right, I'm done. Thanks, John Frank, for the extra time. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you feel inspired, encouraged, and empowered to change the world for the name of Jesus. Make sure to tune in and listen to our other podcasts and download our app, Salt Churches, found on iTunes. We hope to see you and hear from you soon. Thanks. Have a great day.